0: Let's get close.
1: Uh, Every time I heard you say that. Hey everybody, everybody. this is uh, Chris Briley and Phil Kaplan. Hello, I'm I'm mixing it up. Different intro. Uh, This is the Green Architects Lounge, everybody. Uh, Welcome. How are you, Phil? doing great, Chris. How are you doing today? I'm doing uh, fantastic. Yeah, boy, we just kind of went into that intro all different than last time. You know why? It's because I'm excited. I know why you're excited. I'm excited because we got a great guest uh, coming up, uh, John Straub. Um, if you, I can't imagine you know who we are yet don't know who he is, so it's going to be ridiculous <laughs> that I'm going to do an intro, but I'll do it uh, proper anyway. So we're excited.
0: Yeah, you know We've been watching this guy talk and listening to him and reading his stuff for years, and at the last Nessie Building Energy Conference, I managed to get in line Mm -hmm. uh, after one of his lectures and and got his attention and say, hey, uh, John, what do you think about doing a podcast with us? We know you've got one on on GBA. Uh, Would you be interested in doing uh, one where we... We dig a little deeper to find who the man the legend is. And he was interested, so we're, we're, we're psyched to have him today.
1: Which is fantastic and lucky for us. And you got his autograph, right? <laughs> uh, I
0: wasn't that lucky. No. Oh, I,
1: that's too bad. Well, maybe later, because we're going we're gonna to owe him a drink. We're doing this remotely. I had a big, I had a big <laughs> chunk of moldy
0: sheetrock that I was trying to get him to sign. <laughs> that's and That's fantastic. Just, yeah, and the Sharpie just wouldn't take.
1: Yeah, so. oh, oh, well, well, we'll definitely um, uh, get him to sign some piece of mold <laughs> there. All right. Uh so yeah, so we got that going on. But uh, this is all weird for us and that's maybe that's another reason why I'm off my game here is because it's 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 the morning. So we're not doing cocktails right now. We're doing we're here, cheers, Phil. We're doing here Cheers. Clinkers. Those are that is our plastic mugs, our insulated mugs. <laughs> that's clinking. sad. Isn't that, that is sort sad. of sad? That's pathetic. We're pathetic. <laughs> but I'm a little coffee addict and you probably are too. And
0: Oh, it's decaf. Oh, I kid really? you I kid you You're not. Switching to decaf? I kid you not. Oh
1: my god. <laughs> That's why you, you're acting weird. Okay,
0: <laughs> one of the reasons. How are we going to get through this, Phil? We're going to make it, Chris. All Tell right. us, a, give us a little bio on our friend Doctor. Well, you know, I, I think I'll we'll do
1: that when we when we intro. I'll intro him when when we bring him in. Sounds great. But but everyone knows him. Um, so let's do let's do this. First, you know what I'd like to hear? Yes. What?
0: What drink are we going to consume? Oh, that's tonight? a great idea.
1: That is a great idea because here's how it's going to go down, people. Um, we're going to promise to drink something later. And if, if timing works out and we can record it and you can join us, then great. But um, as some of you know, uh, our, we have a relationship with fine cooking for cocktails. Well, sort of. And Mr. Boston, but that's a loose relationship. But. Uh, so we're going to do the uh, limoncello gin cocktail with grilled thyme, although I don't know if the thyme's going to actually be grilled, but we'll do something with it. But <laughs> I'll, Maybe I'll pull it in.
0: out of a plastic container from Hannaford and exa- throw in exa- the exactly. drink. Exactly. I'll, I'll
1: kind of, we'll muddle it or something. Okay. We'll yeah. do something great like that. But anyway, it's two large fresh thyme sprigs, about half an ounce of fresh lime juice, uh, one and a half fluid ounces of gin, and they say preferably Blue Coat American Dry. Have you ever had that? I uh, have not. Neither have I. But it sounds fancy. Whatever. I'm down and with it. it. And then a uh, half an ounce of limoncello, preferably, and they say Averna Limone di Sicilia. Your is Italian nice? is impeccable. I don't know, it's awful. Well, I can't <laughs> do Italian very well. So that's what we're going to have. And then, Phil, you're gonna, when we're done interviewing John, we're going to go out with your music the song of the episode, what we should be listening to in studio. What's what's happening? This
0: is this is going to be your new favorite album, Chris. Is it? This is this is the summer disc of 2012. Oh, I am so ready. The band is called Tan Lines, and the album is called Mixed Emotions. You're never going to guess where they're from, Chris. Uh,
1: if you say Brooklyn, I'm going to punch you in the. <laughs> I'm going to punch you right uh, now.
0: You know, I, I secretly want to live in Brooklyn. Are they from Brooklyn? they're From Brooklyn. Where's the puncher, buddy? Oh, wow oh, I did get hit there. Yeah, you deserve uh, it. Diversify. <laughs> okay. I didn't even know they. It, it, it just sticks to me. All right. All right. Like, but tan people. lines,
1: I love that. Yeah. That Sounds like summer all all over. Doesn't or it, In places.
0: It's two guys. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you like Vampire Weekend, if you like Rapture, if you like, uh, wait, maybe Hot Chip. It's a, you think, like these guys. All right. It sounds like sounds like I am gonna like them. The the, the song's called Lost Somewhere lost somewhere. And we're going to rock out to our Limoncello Gin cocktails with Grilled Time and listen to Tan Lines, you and me later.
1: Alright, fantastic. So everybody, uh, stay tuned and just a reminder uh, you can always email us at uh, lounge at com. Phil and I and Sheila love to uh, get your emails, your requests. Uh, hey, you know what? Send a cocktail recipe, just slap it on the back of a, a bottle of scotch and uh, email it to... Uh, Lounge at GreenBuildingAdvisor.com. Also, check out our lame Facebook page uh, that we <laughs> like to visit. And and otherwise, let's uh, stay tuned because John Straub is coming up. Very excited. Hey everybody, thanks for joining us uh, here at the Green Building Advisor's Green Architects Lounge. Phil. Chris. uh, And and with us on the line is is John Straub. John, how are you? I'm excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks
0: for joining us today.
1: Um, Love it. And I I know everyone out there, uh, if anyone knows who we are, they uh, have to know who you are, but I'm going to do a nice official uh, intro anyway. Uh, John Straub. He's uh, recently uh, received a lifetime achievement award in building science education from the National Consortium of Housing Research Centers, and uh, that's pretty good to get a lifetime achievement award at, at age um, whatever you are, because because you're not <laughs> you're not that old, John, or you don't seem it. You're
0: putting
2: him on the spot. I am. No, I uh, I uh, I don't feel that old, but what? I suppose. And so I thought I, I was quite pleased and surprised and honored. Right. Um, I guess uh, one of the things, though, is that uh, I have had the the luck that I have really only been in this industry. I'm not a reinvented physicist. I'm not a reinvented uh, software engineer. I'm not a reinvented builder uh, or architect. I have been working on this type of stuff literally from my first kind of high school work, uh, you know, summer work job. So in a sense, I've kind of been working at it for a while it occurs to me now when i run into people my age who this is their second or third career it's like geez uh does that mean i'm supposed to change soon uh, no i think well, i think now that means you can kick back now you can just relax oh, <laughs>
0: lifetime achievement done no I- <laughs> that's right you're gonna start early you know we were wondering if you were you know when you were a, a baby lying in the crib staring up and looking at a moldy ceiling that something Same. just hit you and, and it's like i, I know what no. i'm gonna
2: be It I did take crib. a little longer than that actually i have to say <laughs> yeah
0: All right, well, my
1: intro, okay, wait, let me finish my intro. It's all official. Uh, He's also a faculty member of the Department of Civil Engineering and the School of Architecture at the University of Waterloo, that's in Canada, Americans, uh, where he teaches uh, courses in structural design, material science, and building science at Waterloo. He's the director of uh, of the Building Engineering Group and also a faculty member of the School of Architecture. He is also the founding principal of the consulting firm Building Science Consulting, the Canadian partner to the um, infamous Building Science Corp. Uh, he is infamous. A, infamous, infamous, infamous. <laughs> uh, he is a popular contributor uh, here on the Green Building Advisor, and you yourself, John. I don't know if you know this, but you're like you're if you go if you put your name in the search engine, you come up like um, over two hundred times just yourself but also people referencing you in their comments and are you things.
0: sure that's just because it's too hard it's not too hard to spell steve brook yeah steve it's right. easier yeah. to spell <laughs> and say my name
2: you know a little known uh, uh fact is that of course way back centuries ago my family dropped the l off the beginning of mine <laughs> <laughs> that's good yeah mine mine is now oh sorry without the uh silent q or
1: whatever yeah that's that is a weird name but yeah, so now, that, and that's why we asked you instead of him, because, you know, Joe, it's just too too hard to type in the email. Is that it? Yeah, no. <laughs> All right, uh, he's also co- co-authored the book Building Science for Building Enclosures back in 2005 and is the recent author of the book High Performance Enclosures Hot Off the Press, and
2: I ordered mine last night. Yeah, congratulations on that. Tell us a little bit about the new book. <laughs> Thank you, guys. That's good. Well, I'll tell you, I was pretty, actually, kind of excited about this one. It took us a while to finally push it out the door, but uh, I'm hoping it'll be really useful to, yeah, the uh, the more commercial architect side of things. Right, and it and it is for cold climates. Is that right? Yes, yeah, basically zone four and up. Um, you know, so I think we need to make another book from zone four and down. Uh, so it's intended about, you know, where heat loss is more important, uh, condensation in the wintertime is more important than summertime. Stuff like that is why we kind of drew the line. Right.
1: And and if if someone's interested in this book, really, they're um, like, like, the, like those infamous questions, infamous again, that's my word of the podcast, I guess, uh, about like load-bearing masonry. I'm assuming you cover that in there. Possibly? I do. Fantastic.
2: i do, I talk about it but it's um it, it is there are some details in there on uh, interior insulation retrofits but also and new construction but it's really it is a lot focused on new institutional commercial uh building types
1: great i I think that's really timely because I think like uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of info out there on uh homes and and you know doing uh, deep energy retrofits and passive houses and net zero and all that, and then commercial projects. It's it's still sort of just doing the best that they can in places and and what makes sense. And there's a huge industry out there that's sort of keeping a maintaining a status quo. It's really hard to move it. So, so and that's
2: that is actually uh, what really drove the book was that um, while there's still lots of questions and lots of confusion in the residential market, both new build for high performance and retrofit. There's a lot more conversation, you know, as evidenced by GBA. There's a lot of intelligent people with experience talking about this, and there's books written. But uh, there's a real commercials, frankly, playing a catch-up game to the residential side. Uh, we don't have anything like a Building America for commercial or a Passive House. For commercial, although they'll, they'll call it the same, right. um, there are differences, and there is uh, ASHRAE 90.1, the commercial energy code, is really up the bar le- recently, and so there's quite a, a vacuum. There's a, There needs to be the same sort of paradigm shift that uh, occurs in the building, in, in the home building industry, has to occur in the commercial, and so this book is trying to address that need. Well,
0: why do you think it's taking so long for the commercial industry to get on board with this?
2: I, um, there's lots of complex questions uh, to that, but really uh, big contributors, the people who build the buildings uh, don't actually own them, and then the people, same as in the residential sector, uh, but when you own the building, many of the people who own the building and pay the lease don't even see the energy costs. Yeah. They, it, it's lost. No one has a sense of how to figure out how much it should cost. So if you speak to a homeowner and they're spending $600 dollars a month, that's like a lot of money, and they know that. Yeah. Whereas in commercial buildings, there's so much it's such a larger organization that the people who pay those bills don't talk to the people who do the leases. Uh, people don't have comparator buildings, so they can't say how much do you use?" Well I'm in a completely different building than you are. so mm-hmm. there's that's part of what's what's causing the confusion and it's just um, it's just never been important to the owners. To care much about, or, or the occupants, to care much about energy consumption—they're really being driven that way for non-economic reasons. Mm-hmm. Codes, societal expectations, carbon footprinting for their company, etc., is really making them do it, not because, hey, this makes economic sense, right. even though it does. Do you do you see this as a, a big opportunity
0: for for building professionals as as the commercial world starts to?
2: I see more than uh, I'd say. I put it in the other way. I'd say it's not an opportunity; it's a threat. If oh. the building professionals do not respond to the new paradigm of of expecting performance, um, they will not be working. Uh, I mean, it may take us 25 years to get there, but the the real push is now that we want you to deliver buildings with a meeting an air tightness target, mm-hmm. meeting an energy target. Uh, providing uh, more quality space, but it used to be all you had to do was meet on time, on budget, to code, and even the last to code was kind of fuzzy. Yeah. Uh, and now it's people are saying, oh, and I need you to get a lead uh, accreditation. You mean you literally? I have to? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's a whole separate performance requirement. That was what started the floodgate opening, and now there are well, if you build for the U.S. government or you build for the U.S. military, you must meet some pretty Tight air tightness standards, and you got to prove it by testing. Right. So uh, suddenly, we're actually requiring the design team and construction team to deliver a measurable performance. And I think that's just going to accelerate. Lead was the first crack in the door. Air tightness is the door is opening, and we're going to add a whole bunch of other things like required energy targets. You know, no more than so much energy per square foot per year. Mm-hmm. We're going to fire carbon targets, and suddenly. The teams that can actually predict the performance of their buildings and then deliver it are going to be the only teams that are going to be busy, both construction and design. And
1: and out of curiosity, I mean, I know uh, there are um, standards by different codes and different um, uh, certifications, but but you yourself, what do you what do you think? Like, if I'm doing a um, commercial building, let's say, oh, I don't know, a veterinary clinic or something, or, or some doctor's office, and mm-hmm. and. And I want to tell the builder, let's hit, let's hit ACH fifty of X. Or what? Or what? What do you feel are the um, pretty good standards that one should meet? What's the thing that's
2: doable? And well, uh, I would look towards uh, architecture twenty thirty as an yeah. energy target. Yeah. Uh, architecture2030.org has these nice lists for different areas and different building types and uh, they start with a 50% reduction over uh, 1993 buildings. Right. That's a great start. If you you know it, it should be you should be able to meet that without spending a single dollar. Nice. There's no reason to increase the cost of construction. Excellent. And uh, air tightness targets, I would use something like the uh, government services agencies, air, t- air tightness targets of uh, 0.4 CFM per square foot at 75 pascals. In the commercial area, we don't use ACH because of the wide right. range of building shapes. Right. Um, so that would be those would be good starting points. Mm-hmm. And then, hey, once you demonstrate you can do that on a project, well, now let's ratchet it up a bit. You know, Let's go for the 60% or, or 65%. Uh, Architecture 2030 target. Let's go for the Army Corps target airtightness of 0.25. Mm. I think actually a tougher question is: Okay, those are targets for energy and airtightness. Well, buildings are much more than that. How do we start measuring and targeting good spaces? Spaces that feel good to people who work in them. Mm-hmm. A combination of sound quality and and uh, daylighting and so on. Those are the ones that are going to be harder. We haven't even started me- figuring out how to measure what we really want to get. Yes, mm-hmm. that that's actually a um, good uh, question.
1: Like, uh, like if someone came to you and said, "How do how do I measure uh, my airtightness for my mall or my you know yeah. my fifty uh, story office building?" I mean, I, this might be not of interest to the residential people, but I'm curious. You know, how, how does how do
2: you go about uh, doing that? Is it That's actually, I think, a solved problem. I mean, uh, people are doing it left, right, and center now. Yeah. And uh, so I don't mean politically. I meant, like, spatially, right? (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) Right. Uh, So how do you do it? Well, uh, first of all, you build a a tight building. Yeah. uh, And then you use a lot of blower doors. Okay. So it's just like residential, just larger. The difference here is that to connect them together, like, the Energy Conservatory has this very cool software Uh, a hardware setup where you run cables between all your blower doors, Uh and then they all ramp up as a single unit. You can ramp them up and ramp them down in constant. Um, Literally two nights ago, we were doing a, I don't know, 25,000, 30,000 square foot Architects Association building uh, for our local province, and we were doing a blower door test on this building built in the early 80s. And, uh, you yeah, we we know, we, we installed six floor doors. We didn't need them. We actually managed to get to our tightness, uh, our pressure targets with only three or four of them. Um, so, but we've built on buildings of 750,000 square feet, and others have done buildings that are much larger than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my colleagues at Building Science Corp is, um, Coda Weno did a building, a relatively tall building, like 12, 15 stories in Boston. Nice. so it's it's really those are solved problems. So, so let's step back to residential for
0: just a second, Jeff. right? Um, one of Chris's comments, he asked about a pretty good veterinary clinic. Yeah, um, have you have you heard anything about the pretty good house movement? Is that is that on your radar? It is. I, what I, do I you love think it. about this.
2: I love it. Well, here I love the concept. Um, I I don't know much about the particular targets. Right. But um, I think uh, that is a absolute good sign of maturity. Things like net zero energy homes or uh, Passive House mm-hmm. show us how we can get to really high performance and low energy use. But that does not mean that they are necessarily what everybody can or should build or is able to build. And so... Uh, we've often at Building Science Corporation had the opinion that we could go off and build 10 net zero energy houses a year or even 20, mm-hmm. but from the point of impact on the environment, mm-hmm. they're basically non existent, nothing happens if you have 10 or 20 houses that are zero energy. Who cares? It only matters when. Thousands and thousands of homes are done, and so we've spent a lot of our time. And many times uh, we are criticized for it, you know, making 5,000 houses a year use 30 percent less energy. Right. And from a impact on the environment, the impact on energy security, on carbon, etc. Well, that's way bigger. That's right. a much bigger deal. Yeah. And if we can demonstrate that 30 percent reductions can be achieved by you know three tract builders. Uh, well, then it makes everyone else look bad. The fact that a bunch of highly motivated, well-funded zealots can produce net-zero energy houses—well, we know we can do that. Sure. Yeah. And so, really, those net-zero energy or passive house things are really about us learning where the uh, you know where the extreme is or where the next generation is. Right. They don't necessarily inform, although they may inspire the current generation or the next ten years. And so we're constantly flitting between the getting awful buildings to good mm-hmm. uh, uh, more so than getting good buildings to great. And uh, it's just much better press to talk about great buildings. But the real, right, impact, right. <laughs> the real impact is being, making good buildings. Right. And I think that uh, if we could get the the idea of a pretty good building, a pretty good home, out to tens of thousands that's that's success that's success because then we can change pretty good over time to be you know a, a lower and lower energy number or a higher and higher comfort number right. but uh, we need to 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 try to avoid making these houses that are really high performance just technology demonstrators like concept cars i don't care how many concept cars gm delivers it really matters that their sierra pickup truck gets six miles per gallon more this year than it did last year exactly that matters right and and to
1: to our listeners who aren't familiar the pretty good house concept is sort of is being developed here in maine or we should we yeah. should have our little building science discussion group um uh, and really what it is is um like like you said john it's a, it's not a set of standards with a certification it's really a philosophy and guidelines and best practices methods that um, people, you know, everyone can subscribe to if they want to have a pretty good house. So it's it's sort of a doing doing energy efficient and green building for the masses, and not um, like you say for the those striving for greatness, those who are striving for you know pretty goodness. So. Um, or not look. just
2: striving, able to achieve. Exactly. I mean, not everybody yeah. can afford to build a custom home with an architect as designer. I mean, that just yeah. is out of the reach of the majority of normal Americans. Yes.
0: So, but let's talk about this for a second, because it may, maybe this stems from relationship with production builders, um, and maybe it, maybe it's just a, a thing. And I know it's a thing that's been debated with when we have our conversations about a pretty good house uh, here at our building science discussion groups. Um, you talk a lot about still using gas at your seminars. Why don't we just draw the line and, and get off of fossil fuels altogether? Isn't a pretty good house off of fossil fuels? No.
2: Uh. Well, I, you know, it's hard. Again, it doesn't meet that sort of common sense bar. Sure, we can get off gas, but that causes damage to the environment worse than burning gas. Because if I, what is my alternative? Switching to electricity. Well, in America, electricity is still a very dirty energy source, and therefore, switching from gas as a home heating or domestic hot water to electricity. Essentially, means significantly more pollution, uh, hmm. pretty much everywhere in America. So, while uh, the end game is clear, is to avoid natural, uh, to avoid fossil fuels, and that means eventually natural gas. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, uh, sure, if you're comparing it to uh, wind energy or photovoltaics, and you don't have uh, plants that are using fossil fuels to provide the electricity, then you would be right. But it seems like a. Um, it seems that most people who are adamantly opposed to natural gas use have no clue about where the electricity is coming from or believe that they can draw a circle around the electrons that come from a wind turbine and distinguish them from the electrons that come from a coal plant. Right. <laughs> right. So I, I think it's it's pragmatic. We need to. But we do need to continue to push. Um, right. It, it is just a transition uh, from fossil fuels to a true renewable future. Uh, and frankly, I, there's no technical argument to saying, no, no, it's okay if we still use those, uh, Ohio Valley coal plants to make our electricity. That's cleaner. Uh, it, it just doesn't make sense.
1: Right. Right. But I think, um, you know, uh, this isn't actually a counter argument, but actually, uh, one that's parallel to that is, you know, once, the, we can get the energy demand down on a house, let's say, to where we're running a very efficient mini split system right, something with like of something
0: like that.
1: Right, right, and we're we're able to use that electricity um, efficiently. But that's that's you know use that's uh, depending on the philosophy
2: of. Uh, well, no, I, I would agree. I mean, just yeah. like what do I use in my home? I, I use an electric-based air source heat pump. Mm-hmm. Uh, And I was able to do that because the load was dropped. You know, the peak heating load is something like 12,000 BTUs an hour. Right. So uh, so it worked. That is not the low carbon solution. The low carbon solution would have been for me to use natural gas and a very little bit of it because I have only a 12,000 BTU an hour load. Mm -hmm. And by using the electric heat pump, I spent more money than if I had used a natural gas heating system. cost me more capital cost mm-hmm. me more operating mm-hmm. and produces more carbon to use electricity okay. so it's there's no uh, why didn't I well I don't have a gas pipeline running by my house oh right. right and it would have been capitally intensive to run it seven miles from well actually it's more like four miles from the nearest gas line to my house that right. would have cost more than well many times more than my house so um, if there is no sort of Having an efficient house doesn't change anything about the argument right? on an individual basis. It may change things on a system-wide basis because if you reduce the demand enough, then you can actually retire all the dirty plants. And then you can actually end up with a cleaner uh, electric grid, which means that the electricity that you're using then actually is a better choice. On the other hand, I don't see any sign uh, other than the recent good news about shutting down some of the dirtiest coal plants that people are making decisions on our grid infrastructure based solely on what's cleaner. Right. They're doing it all on what's cheaper. Right.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, wait. I I, I agree with you on that one. So,
0: yeah, good stuff,
1: John. So, Phil, you want another question or two? Yeah, yeah. Go to a break.
0: No, let's ask one more. You know, you you and Joe Striebrook, you know, people sometimes think of you as the click and clack of the uh, building science world. Totally. So so how did you guys hook up? You know, you're these two strong, wonderful personalities that that tend to be an anchor for our tribe in a lot of ways. We'd love to hear you guys jab and go back and forth. Um, You know, what's it like when you guys hang out?
2: Where do you disagree? Well, um, how we met, I mean... I guess we just sort of circled around each other, kind of like two feral dogs for a while <laughs> that we uh, knew there was the other was out there. and uh, i I can clearly remember my first Joe Diebrick article I read was the paint siding failures uh, due to you know cellulose installations in Cleveland. That was you know I read that it was like a complete insight to me. I was like, holy cow, I never had any idea, and it was amazing. And then, you know, I kept, you know, his name is rather distinctive. And so whenever I saw it came up, I read everything I could. And so by the time we, you know, met each other, I I don't know whether it was at Affordable Comfort or EBA, you know, one of those standard annual conferences, um, we just uh, sort of started hanging out at these conferences. And then uh, over time, where there were specific projects, uh, Joe and Betsy uh, needed, say, uh, some of our sort of geeky technical stuff on measuring and monitoring, which is something I've been doing at the university a lot, mm-hmm. that's when we started working for Building Science Corporation, and that working for turned into working with, and then turned into being subsumed by the Borg of BSC. Mm-hmm. The Borg. So where mm-hmm. do you guys still disagree? Where. <laughs> Um, actually, from a building science perspective, I don't really think that we disagree on much. There's all kinds of subtle nuances that one can debate about mm-hmm. about when know, do I really need an inch and a half airspace on a thirty foot long four and twelve pitch roof, or is an inch enough, or maybe should it be two inches? Mm-hmm. In a building science aspect, that's what we would discuss. Yeah. Um, in disagreement, it might be, you know, maybe uh, that wine is better for me than for him. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I don't see why I'd want to spend that much money on a German car. I can buy a cheaper German car. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those are the kinds of things that we debate about. Oh, and amongst politics, of course.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I bet. Oh, very nice, yeah. We'll hold that for another podcast. Oh, yeah. Not no. ours. That would be good. Uh, all right. Maybe for us and and a glass of wine sometime, John. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we
1: owe you a drink here because usually we, we're sitting with cocktails and here we are in the middle of the day, so it's not working out. But
2: Well, I have actually an espresso here beside me. Oh, oh
1: excellent. We're doing coffee here, so we're... That oh, counts for
2: something. It's something. It's something. It's not oh, as fun, yeah. but, you know.
1: All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and, if John, if you can stick around, we'll be right back. Yeah. Sure. Ah!
0: back with John Straub. Hey John, welcome back. Oh, glad to be back. It's it's like almost
1: no time passed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, so Phil, what do you want to ask him? What's what's the burning question? So
0: we're we're architects, John. Um, Yes, I know that. Yes, um, you know, we smirk a little bit because we get pretty beat up. We get pretty beat when I, you know, we hear you talk, we hear John uh, yeah, a builders diss us we hear. Engineers diss us Rosenbaum yeah. talk Yeah, we, we we get beat up right. We go to yeah. Nessie Building Energy And, um, you know, the architects are we're are, the are the losers stuff. in the group? But yeah, uh, well, actually, crazy you know, guys, it's <laughs> yeah. like
2: you get beat up. Uh, probably, you only get beat up in the building science and construction world. Right. Uh, in the design world, and in the wider world, you're held up as paragons and uh, of ideals, where all oh, the architects get to design these things, and they're so clever, and yeah. they have such great insights. <laughs> but uh, and, but I th- and I think that's perhaps somewhat telling if you ask where you know where are architects? why do they make people make fun of them? Where can they improve? It really comes down to um, there is an expectation that architects know a lot more than they do about how things are built. Mm-hmm. And frankly, um, the whole process of architectural education, I, I teach at such an institution and a very good one, we don't spend that much time teaching architects how things are built. and the professional work in especially in commercial, less so residentially, Um, the the architects don't get a chance to learn. And Hmm. so that's one of the reasons people make fun of them on the construction site. It's like, what? How could you draw this? Of course I can't build this. But I've never taught them how to do that. And the profession doesn't provide a way for, say, a graduate architect to spend, uh, say, 30% of their first five years on a construction site. Yeah. Which would be kind of a good way to learn, you know, uh, if they're in commercial and on a commercial site, if they're in residential and residential sites. That, that's one aspect. And then the other part is that the science behind making technology decisions, which is what we call building science, right? It's, it's the physics that guide us in how, which technology to use. Um, well, they don't, no one teaches that to architects.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, before our engineers get too uppity, very few engineers get taught that either. And I can promise you, if you go to enough building science conferences, there's a lot of engineers get made fun of, too. Sure. And well, we do that. On that aspect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, We do yeah, that 24 yeah. Absolutely. I, I would encourage it. Yeah. <laughs> so what's and going so, on at, at
0: um, University of Waterloo? So you're teaching there. Are you, are you pushing back at this a little bit?
2: Obviously, you're there for a reason. Are well, you helping I, these guys
0: wake up? Is the I wouldn't that say I'm pushing back.
2: I would say that I am responding to the reason I'm working there. I'm responding to a need that was defined by the faculties. So they wanted us to, they wanted someone to teach building science and I was available. It's um, so it, me, I'm just, but I'm one guy. Mm-hmm. So I teach two courses in engineering in a year and two courses in architecture in a year. And that's a total amount of available building science education at the University of Waterloo which is well sometimes an infinite amount more than at most schools of engineering
1: and architecture
3: mm-hmm.
1: well let me ask you since you've done both engineering and architecture on a scale of 9 to 10 how much better is architecture than engineering?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know what they're, very, they're just different and it's been so informative for me to teach in a school of architecture my, my simple answer to the two faculties when I have them together in a room is to say that engineers teach analysis and they forget to teach design. Mm-hmm. And architects teach design and forget to teach analysis.
0: Fantastic. And,
2: uh, they, and we really need to get a little bit more design into mm-hmm. engineering and a little bit more analysis into architecture.
0: Well, I got to tell you, you know, I remember my school days. Uh, mm-hmm. And those are the classes that I tried really hard not to fall asleep in. You know, now, I, now I, I wish I paid more attention. Yeah, now planning, I realize it's, you know, uh, so what, what goes on with your students? You know, are they well, all design focused and you know, yes. I think they're lucky to have you to
2: wake them up, but what's, <laughs> what's going on there? Well, yes, they look, they are design focused, but they, uh, enough of them have enough experience because we are a co-op school and students go out and go to work uh, every four months and they work for like. You know, famous architects in New York and London and Berlin and all that uh, and then they come back, they are actually more aware um, but it's still, that is, frankly you have nailed it on the head, that is what is the challenge in the culture of architectural schools is that nobody wants to tell uh, the students that the majority of them will not be doing concept design as a profession that the majority of them will be doing contract admin they will be doing site supervision they will be doing working drawings they will be meeting with clients trying to understand what it is they want mm-hmm. and explaining why it's maybe not right very small portions of a real architecture firm's time is spent on concept design and yeah. about 80 90% of the education is spent on that small uh, percentage right and so as a consequence we actually create not from an education point but as much from a, an attitude and uh culture point of view the graduates and the faculties are actually not at all representative of what the job of architecture is and as a consequence it's hard for the students to even learn what they need to when it's presented to them because they've decided that well this isn't important Mm. and so that's challenge
0: yeah yeah Yeah, it's very true and i think that I think I remember at school that the kids who had been out in the real world and then came back, those are the ones who were asking good questions in these classes. And and I remember waking up and thinking, oh, there's a lot of different stuff out there that I'm just clueless about. Yeah, yeah. yeah that is it's just okay.
1: So um... – uh, you you know we're on the green building advisor so there's sort of a there's sort of a difference between building science and, and green but um, yes. you know I know we feel that there's a there's a considerable overlap there. I'm wondering what your take is on that like like where do you feel build, building science and green
0: building overlap This is and, like the geeks versus hippies question Yes yes yeah, yeah, yeah. yes yeah. geeks versus hippies
2: no, I, look I love it I, I am I completely agree with you that building science is not green building, and green building is not uh, building science. Um, uh, Building science is a set of tools, skills, and knowledge that lets us deliver buildings that perform in a predictable way. Um, I can use that for good, or I can use that for evil. Hmm. So I can use it to build a 20,000-square-foot mansion with all glass walls facing west, and still manage to make the person inside of it comfortable. Yeah, that isn't better. green, but that's a classic, actually a very common use of building science. Yeah. Is how do I do stupid things in such a way that people will mm-hmm. still be happy with the outcome. I love that. That's, that's why Dubai is what, like it is. Right. And, so. Well, actually, oftentimes they don't make the people happy, frankly. Oh, yeah. um, they fail. That's what, But green building is actually a bigger uh, sort of a more, uh, kind of clear focus is that it's trying to minimize the impact on the planet. Now, sometimes I think it gets confused with healthy buildings, which is actually not about, you know, good for the planet. Uh, mm-hmm. frankly, the more people we kill, the better off the planet is. So I would <laughs> say healthy buildings are perhaps green, mm-hmm. but um, so that's why this good building is uh, or pretty good building is, comes back full circle yep. is that what we want is we want to have the best possible space for you and I to have this conversation in or to teach a, a class in or to treat dogs in our vet clinic. But mm-hmm. we want to minimize the impact on the planet its resources uh, mostly so that we can keep doing what we're doing. you know so that we can have nine billion people on the planet without the planet stopping to provide services of fresh air, fresh water, food and resources to us. That's what green building's about. And building science is simply the set of tools. It's the toolbox that lets us try and achieve those goals. Very and nice so bit. that's the they're very, in a sense, they're very different. One's a set of goals and one's a set of tools. Yeah. I think that's great. and I think that's really well stated. Um, what I want to do is talk about your comments on
0: planetary damage as being so important. <laughs> Passive house. I know you beat up on passive house a lot, and you know we we go back and forth a lot. But there's a metric in passive house that, that the primary energy use that really talks about planetary damage. I mean,
1: well, that's that's why it was kind of there. That's how the the whole standard came about is yeah. is reduction yeah. uh, global um, greenhouse gas emissions and all that, and trying to come up with a, a house that sits on the planet passively, essentially. Yeah,
0: but, yeah. well, aren't there? Are you know. Well, I that's, love, that's love or hate great. it, aren't there some great. really good tools and metrics that we can use from PHPP in the whole Passive House certification?
2: Yeah, well, so the, the 120 kilowatt hours a square meter per year, mm-hmm. brilliant idea to say, look, it's primary energy, you know, in, into the power plant energy, great. Mm-hmm. And it's a real number that, you know, you can measure, great. Okay, I don't have any problems with that. I've never said that was a problem. My, my concern is that, well, then where does the 15 kilowatt hours a square meter of site energy for space heating come from?
1: Right.
2: And it's those types of. And why did they choose 120 for primary? Why not 100? I mean, 120, how a non-German? Shouldn't it be an? order? <laughs> of... <laughs> I mean, right. pick a number, 10, 100, 1000. So 120? Um, so this number was chosen, like many of our performance targets, mm-hmm. rather arbitrarily. Mm-hmm. To be something that reached a certain goal with a certain, you know, probability. I mean, like it was a tough goal or an easy goal or whatever, right? Yeah. But that's all it was. There's nothing more particular about that. And it was chosen for buildings, typically residential, multifamily row houses in Central Europe. Um, so the concern I have is I think that the, the, the idea of choosing a number of primary energy is exactly what we should be doing. Frankly, I think that would be a great energy code right there. Mm-hmm. Done. Mm-hmm. Um, But I don't see why space heating should be broken out. In fact, it leads to rather odd uh, allocations of resources. And I think the discussion about why 120, well, what should it be? I mean, people uh, uh, pose passive house as being like the ultimate or the most stringent standard. Mm. Zero energy is less than 120 last time I checked. Right. So is 90. Right. So... Well, so why do we dish, dish, uh, dis, I mean, um, uh, the, the 120 number? Well, because it's an arbitrary number and, and is no more superior to any of the other numbers that are picked. Right. And so, and the, the, the problem is it's been proposed as a rock solid chiseled and stone number that we can't play with. Right.
1: Well, I do know, I do know what the, uh, what, um. Would say well only because I asked him sort of that question like with people who'd say primary energy should be the only metric you know his the argument is you know the space heating uh, numbers there because it speaks to the shell which is a more permanent thing as opposed to primary energy use is, is also based on the equipment that comes and goes within the house and and the users and all that so
2: yeah but the shell isn't the is actually only one of the two components that really affect the uh, space heating use. The other mm-hmm. one is climate, and that's conspicuously absent. Exactly, yes. Uh, so therefore, that's the problem with it. Is, mm-hmm. you know, and if somebody wanted to say, why 15 then? So what is the metric being used? What is the process being used to come up with 120 or with 1, 1, 1, or 15 so that you can understand it mm-hmm. and therefore potentially modify it for Kansas? Mm-hmm. modify it for International Falls, modify it for Miami. Oh. But since it's just a number that came down on high, and we are not allowed until recently, we were not allowed to ask these questions, um, it was literally considered horrible that I would even ask the question, well, why Why 120? Why 15? Couldn't we choose another number? How dare you, John? <laughs> <How> dare <I? laughs> well, you know, FIAS is kind of, they're considering... I don't want to say Correct. retooling, but rethinking their metrics. No, they've actually—they've literally sent out emails saying that we're willing to reconsider. Hallelujah! This is great. <laughs> I, mean, I think that we'll be now that we have a lot of more experience in the country uh, about passive house. I think that we will, should be able to have a good, reasonable discussion that leads to some sort of more acceptable consensus, as opposed to somebody importing a, a rule that we have to follow. I, I One of the reasons I felt comfortable criticizing some of the components of Passive House was that I worked in Germany. Uh, I, I was in the construction industry exactly in 1990, 1991, when people were starting the Passive House standard. Mm. I, I know, I continue to travel to Europe, Germany, every two to three years. I continue to keep good connections with research institutes there. The perception people have of what, is, what led to Passive House and the supposed scientific rigor and absolute clarity simply isn't supported by the facts. It is a very good uh, energy standard mm-hmm. that tries to also include comfort. It doesn't actually deal with other things, but it's good for those things. And there are other programs that are very good at indoor air quality. And there are other programs that are very good at energy in the tracked home market and reducing mm-hmm. that, like Energy Star. I mean, mm-hmm. Energy Star version 3 is not for the weak need. Mm-hmm. It will save more energy next year than passive house times 50. And that's, that's because of the scale of I houses it affects. Scale. Right. right. Yeah. And so those are the, you know, so I think we just have to put, there's none of these things are that, like Energy Star is in the be all end all. I mean, if somebody tells me I'm building a low-energy house, I want to save the planet, and I just spent a million bucks and it's Energy Star, I'd say, what? That's it?
3: Hmm.
2: By the same token, I'm saying, but but Passive House doesn't necessarily need to be applied to low-income housing in Berkeley. Right, right. And so we have to accept that there's these are programs that focus on specific things and not others and aim at certain markets and not at others as opposed to saying there is there is one standard above all you know the first commandment right i will i will ship no other standards other than passive house right yeah yeah you
1: have to go you have to make that pledge to be certified right no i don't know (laughs) but
0: well so that's you don't you have a tattoo now chris yeah (laughs) but i
1: can't show it to you um but that you know, that's like standards. I, I I I'd like to get to a more micro level. Like, um, uh, what do you think? What do you think's on the horizon, or what's the um, what's the great technological innovation that we're we're waiting for? What's what's the thing that you feel like, um, uh,
2: you know, we're on the we're on the cusp of, you you know, know, of tackling.
3: Uh, well,
2: first of all, I guess there are a bunch of things that are emerging as as important technologies to us, and but secondly, none of them matter.
3: <laughs> None of the matter
2: because what is missing is not the technology what is missing is the desire what yeah. is missing is the knowledge what is missing is the process by which we would regularly be building good houses or great houses yeah. and we know all we know and have repeatedly demonstrated with a hundred other people across this country have built really good homes from a health durability aesthetics energy and resource point of view and they've done it without having to invent new technology. Yeah. Yeah, you know what you just
1: did there. You, I I did the hey doctor uh, what's the new pill that that I could take to do this thing and you said diet and exercise. Frankly. Right. <laughs> Get out there. You already know what you need to do. and, yep. and I think that's Well,
2: he is a doctor. That, yeah, that you said, are a
1: doctor. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, but that said, I mean it's nice to have diet pills. Yeah. Uh, it's great to have machines that, you know, vibrate your your your, your flab off your belly. I mean, you I'd bet like you. one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it's not enough, right? I mean, the, the most important thing is to actually have people show up, um, mm-hmm. just to ask the question. And a lot of times people just aren't even showing up or they just they don't really even seem to get it. That is what has changed in the last five years is that the people who care about energy in buildings, it's now not just the true believers. It's expanded much more widely.
0: And you think yeah. that's strictly because of, now we're making a better case for it financially. Uh, do you think?
2: I actually think financially is the worst reason in the world. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and uh, 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 people make uh, all kinds of crazy decisions in buildings that have nothing to do with finances. Right. So finances is not going to make the distinction. It helps. It helps. You know, doubling the energy prices really focuses the attention. But it's not going to make the difference. It's because there's been enough of a discussion about energy, environment, national security, uh, etc. You know the problems with fracking, the problems with Libya, the problems with Syria, all the stuff. This is what changes things.
1: Right. Well, we uh, we'll um we'll end probably on that. Actually, we'll end with a couple. One more question, if you don't mind. We'll just do yeah. like a. So like you you get called into all these crazy places to do things you know some are awesome and some are you know I can only imagine but um you know what's the craziest like dumbass thing you've seen like you've walked in and just gone who why what wh- what were they thinking either the architect or the builder I'm just curious because that's a fun thing to <laughs> uh,
2: wow you know yeah. that's that's tough you know I um. It uh, really is tough. I I, uh, I, cu- I can't think of something off the top because most of the crazy dumbass things are actually kind of narrow little things. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, people who make mistakes in buildings that they thought was a good idea, and it, you know, I mean, in terms of like big picture, oh my gosh, they completely blew it.
3: Mm-hmm. I, I
2: don't know. No. I, I don't really have much to, I can think of right now, but I am regularly. I am regularly concerned by you know when I look at buildings and go, oh my God, how could they possibly have um, done this? You yeah. know. but but I mean they're they're realistically in the big picture of the whole building, they're usually pretty small. All right, well
1: then then I'll change my question to a request that that you and you and um, Joe do a top top ten dumbass things we've seen or something like that with pictures illustrated. You know, I don't know because <laughs> I, I think, be I think that would be good. It would Um. So, should we should we leave it there? I mean, with us saying words like "dumbass" and and all that, Phil. Or
0: yeah. What else do? What is your current beef? We uh, you know, what's what's bothering John these days? For the GBA audience, is there something you just really want to get off your chest? What's Oh, I don't. You know know
2: I'm I'm, uh, I'm pretty happy in in our in our industry. I think we're making uh, progress. Is being made. Um. There's lots of short-sighted policies out there. You know, I wish we would be having a long-term plan. I wish we could stop polarizing it from, you know, no fossil fuels or all fossil fuels. Uh, you know, those are the kinds of things that are frustrating on a macro level. Yeah. Uh, but on a day-to-day basis, I have to say we're, we're doing better. Uh, you know, every day, uh, the ideas of good buildings has diffused more and more, both commercially and residentially. I, I think that's that's we got to keep in mind. That's a good news. I think we need to keep working, and this is not going to happen suddenly over a two-year period. It's going to take – we're going to keep working at this for the next 20 years, uh, and it's going to be more more, and more of the same, trying to make it better. That's what we're going to need to do. Well, doctor, thank you very much. John, thank thank you you so much. This has been great fun. Well, me too. We'll talk again soon. Okay. Thank you.